So real quick, I'm going to invite Ben Post to come up. He, I'm so excited to have you hear him share this morning the message that God has on his heart. He and I served for 10 years together at Campus Ministry. Somebody asked, do you have to be six foot six to serve at Campus Ministry? I said no, but we're blessed to have him and his family here this morning. So Ben, let's give him a warm community welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And good morning, community. I like that. Uh, it's an incredible honor to be here this morning with you all. As Chris said, my name is Ben Post. Uh, and to help you get to know me a little bit, I've got a couple of pictures of my family. Uh, they're also in the back, but here's a couple of pictures. Uh, my wife, Stacy, and I, we've been married 14 years now. Our son, Jaden, is eight. Uh, he loves things like Legos and coloring and drawing, and lately he really enjoys Nerf Gun Wars. Uh, Eli just turned five a few days ago. He loves all things sports, basketball, baseball, soccer, uh, and just recently he learned how to do a flip off a diving board into a pool. So that's, uh, that's our family. Uh, also, in case, I mean, I'm sure there's a few of you that are really passionate about the four-legged furry friends, and so this is Boaz. Uh, anyway, that's our family. So Stacy and I are on staff with Campus Ministry at GVSU, and we have an incredible staff team. Here's the picture of this team that we get to work with. I mean, these people, I would do anything. We actually did almost anything with this past year. Uh, it was quite a year of doing life and ministry together, but we went through the fire, and these people are my heroes. They are unbelievable. And we get, we love what we get to do. We love what we get to do, caring for students, loving on students, walking with students. Sometimes I kind of describe it as like we're kind of their pastor and their temporary parent, right? When we journey with students when they're uh, on campus. And one of the incredible joys is after you do college ministry for a while, you get invited to lots and lots of weddings, Right, so uh, earlier this summer, there were three campus ministry weddings that took place in a span of two days. I officiated one, and the other colleagues officiated the other two. They're always an incredible, joyous celebration. Now, one of those weddings in particular was, it seemed extra special. Our friend Nikki got married. Nikki was a student, part of our ministry. She was a leader. She was an intern. And, And several years ago, We were standing in the parking lot at Grand Valley. We had a bus filled with 50 students ready to go on a a ski trip. And she got the phone call that nobody ever wants to get. Her dad, who was her best friend, was out shoveling his driveway. And he collapsed. And he had a heart attack. And he died. And she collapsed in my arms. And she wept. And over the course of the next several days and weeks and months, we just walked with her and we journeyed with her and we cared for her. And, and the campus ministry community just said, we're going we're gonna to do this with you and we're going to love you in this really difficult season. Well, she met a guy from campus ministry and she married a guy named Elijah and they got married this summer. You can put that picture up there. Uh, It was a fun, incredible wedding, but here's what I loved about it. Not only did they find each other, but when they got married, their entire campus ministry community came and they celebrated with them too. Check out this picture. 
these beautiful people love Jesus. And they are world changers. And they are the community that surrounded them in that difficult season. There are countless stories we could share about students and alumni and things like that, of ways that students have encountered Jesus in real ways. Rachel was a freshman and she met Jesus through campus ministry and got involved with campus ministry and young life at the same time. And she served on a number of spring break trips with us. She graduated just this past spring. Last weekend, she started experiencing some pain. She went to ER and she didn't come home. She passed away suddenly. It's tragic. Life is short. But we're so grateful for the gift that it was for us to walk with her and serve alongside her during her time at Grand Valley. This past year was quite challenging uh, in light of COVID things, COVID restrictions and protocols at Grand Valley. Uh, But here's a couple pictures. So fall of 2019, kickoff kind of looked like this. Fall of 2020 looked like this. We could have 36 people in that auditorium this year uh, and no singing. So we didn't really do what we used to do. And now as we look ahead to 2021, the restrictions have been lifted. And I can't help but look at that picture and wonder. I wonder who's going to be in these chairs. I wonder what stories will be written in this room. I wonder who are the Nickies and the Rachels who are going to come and get connected and be transformed by the life-changing love of Jesus. We eagerly anticipate what God has in store for us this year. And friends here at Community, on behalf of the staff, the students, the alumni, thank you, thank you, thank you. And God bless you. Your prayers and your financial support for campus ministry for the last several years has been absolutely incredible. And we are extremely, extremely grateful. Uh, Please pray with me. Jesus, we are so grateful for the gift of life the gift of breath, the gift of your word, the gift of community, people to do life with. We're grateful for the hope that we have in you. And Jesus, I pray that this morning you will help us have our hearts prepared and open to receive what you might want to say to us today. And if there's something that you want us to do differently as a result of the ways you are speaking. So God, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad customer service experience. Okay, a few of you. And what I mean by like a bad customer service experience, I don't mean just like, ah, the food wasn't that good. But I mean like it was a it was a bad experience to the point where you are mad. Anybody? Anybody like I was really mad and I'm talking on the phone to this person. I don't even know who they are, but they are experiencing. So a few years ago, Stacey and I bought a set of table and chairs to put in our little breakfast nook in our house. 
Now, the, the table was supposed to arrive, two-day air, and then the chairs were going to come in a week. Whatever, no big deal. A few days later, there's no table, and there's still no table. There's no table. It's been almost a week. I make a phone call. It's not that big a deal, but they're, oh, yeah, sorry. It's, it's lost in Tennessee. Okay. Now, I, I get losing like a piece of mail, right? Like the envelope like slides between the seat or something from the UPS guy, but... How do you lose a tall three-foot table in Tennessee? That is beyond me. But anyway, table came a couple days later. uh, And then after that, the chairs arrived. Four chairs and two cardboard boxes. I open them up. All four chairs are broken. So I contact the company and I ask them to send me some new chairs. And a week later, the chairs arrive. The new chairs arrive. I open them up. And two of the four chairs are broken. So I call the company. And I'm losing a little bit of patience at this point, right? And, you know, okay, so there's large cardboard boxes. And inside are these wooden chairs. And there's only a plastic bag covering them. And I'm like, okay, so I... So I'm talking to them on the phone. It's like, can you guys use some, like, bubble wrap or something? You know, because they're just banging around inside and they're coming damaged. Yeah, sure, whatever. They, they send another set of chairs, broken chairs. There's no bubble wrap. You promised me bubble Now I'm mad, all right? I call the company again. I need to talk to Linda. Linda's on vacation. Of course she is, right? Okay, well, can you please send me more chairs and use bubble wrap this time, right? Sure, sir, we can do that. I mean, I worked in shipping and receiving when I was in high school. I know that it's not really, I don't think it's really that hard to use a little bit of bubble wrap on the inside of a box so that the things don't get, damn, whatever. So I'm sitting at home when I see the UPS UPS truck pull up and I see him walk out of the truck carrying the box and I cannot believe what I saw. They put bubble wrap on the outside of the box. And I opened up the box and there is no bubble wrap on the inside of the box. And one of the two chairs was again broken. I needed four, I needed four chairs. They sent me 12. What are we doing? Surely we could do better than this, right? It's not that hard. Uh, Just unbelievable. I mean, how are you still in business? How many times should I forgive this company? A thousand, right? Eight chairs, eight broken chairs. Should I forgive them all eight times? Now, sometimes I get fired up about stuff like this and maybe middle more easily than I should. But have you ever had a moment in your life when something, maybe it's not this, but someone or something just ticked you off? How many times do we forgive them for their incompetence (laughs) in mailing chairs? Uh, This morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite parables of Jesus. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, the text will also be on the screen. Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, 
How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a minute. So Peter asked the question, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Now, some manuscripts say 70 times seven. Either way, what I think is helpful to know is that it actually was a debate going on at this time with the rabbis. And they were asking this question, how, how many times should we forgive our brother when he sins? Because if there's actual true repentance, then they should not be continuing on in this sin. Right? So they were wondering if, it's, if three was the max. I think it's possible that Peter was thinking seven is really generous. And then Jesus says, no, it's 77 times. And Jesus begins to tell this story. That sent, and he begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. The kingdom of heaven is like. And this phrase happens over and over and over again in the scriptures. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, throughout the Bible, God is described as the king of the universe. Right? And his kingdom is now and it will be. Now, I grew up in West Michigan. I grew up going to church. And my kind of understanding of Christianity was, well, we go to church, we try to be good people, we believe in God, and then when we die, eventually we'll go to heaven where there will be amazing things, including unlimited amazing ice cream, right? But I didn't really understand this concept of like heaven coming here and the kingdom being here and now as well. And Jesus is painting a picture as he tells the story of what his kingdom is like. Not just what is to come, but his kingdom, what it should look like here on earth now. And I think there's three things in this parable that are really surprising or even shocking to the original hearers of this parable. He says again, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, I think this is surprise number one, the size of this debt. It was tax season, guy owes him 10,000 talents. Talents, not dollars. Anybody know how much a talent was? Let me tell you. During the time of Jesus, one talent was equal to about 20 years of wages. Okay? So currently, the average U.S. salary is about $50,000. Okay? So a talent is 20 years. So you'd have to take $50,000 times 20 years. And then you get to $1 million. Okay? You following me so far? So one talent would be about a million dollars. But this guy owes 10,000 talents. So you take a million times 10,000, and if you're really good at math, which I am not, I had to use a calculator, you get 10 billion. Okay, that's a one with like 10 zeros. That's a lot of money, by the way. Okay? And this is really hard for me to grasp, especially when we're talking like all those zeros. Like I'm, I'm used to money that looks more like this, right? So this is a dollar bill. And a dollar bill, the thickness of a dollar bill is about one-tenth of a millimeter. And if I were to take this dollar bill and then take another dollar bill and stack it on top of each other, 
I would need 10 of them to get to one millimeter. But I need 10 billion of these. Okay, so I just keep stacking another one on top of another one on top of another one on top of another one. And soon this stack would be 679 miles high. Which is basically the distance from Grand Rapids to Memphis, Tennessee. This was the size of this guy's debt. Now, during the time of Jesus, there was a historian uh, by the name of Josephus. He tells us that the taxes that were collected at the death of Herod the Great uh, for the entire country of Israel was 900 talents. Okay, so somehow this guy in this parable owed 10 times what the entire country owed for taxes. Jesus is making a joke here as he's speaking in extremisms, right? He's making a funny, as I like to say. He's telling a story about a servant who owed a king a gazillion dollars. Now, when I think about the story, like I, I know that there's times in our culture, there's this tendency to overspend with like a credit card or you buy a car that's a little out of reach and you take out a loan. And, but how in the world does somebody get to a position like this? To owe a king 10,000 talents. The size of this guy's debt was utterly shocking. Let's keep reading to uh, see surprise number two. Verse 25. And since he could not repay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, first of all, I love the passion and the desperation in this scene, right? He's desperately pleading, please, please just have patience with me. Please just give me more time. Really? More time? Does this guy really think he's going to pay off this debt with more time? Based on his annual salary, it would take him about 200,000 years to pay off his debt. And his request is for more time. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Rather than granting this guy his ridiculous request for more time, the master surprised everyone by saying, your debt is just canceled. Now, there are numerous stories in the text where I'm like, I, I wish I could have been there when Jesus said this or when he did this, right? And this story is definitely one of them. I would have loved to have been in the crowd on this day when Jesus says this. Like, I, I imagine there's a, a dad who goes home that night and he's sitting around the dinner table with his wife and his kids and he's retelling this story that Jesus told today. And I imagine the family's like, What? He forgave what? Stunning the, the magnitude of that kind of grace to be forgiven. Just canceling a debt like that. He forgave what? But he only asked for more time. Shouldn't he get what he deserves? You, you know, forgiveness of that magnitude is shocking, but I, I actually think forgiveness of any size is kind of shocking. It's so countercultural, 
Like we live in this culture where we want revenge, right? You, you do this to me and I want to do this to you. We want to get even over and over, even if it's little things. He forgave what? The master canceled his entire debt. Which leads us to surprise number three, which is the servant's response. Verse 18. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. Same phrase. And I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so the servant was just forgiven a debt of $10 billion. And then the next thing we see is that he goes out five minutes later and he finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarius was about a day's wage. So 100 days worth of work, $13,000 roughly. And he begins to choke him and say, you got to pay me back. Now, the truth is, I, I think a lot of us would, if we only read part two of this story, we didn't know about what just happened with the king and what he was just forgiven. We read that, hey, the servant goes out and he finds somebody who owes him $13,000 and he asks to repay. That's not really, that, that seems justifiable, right? If the U.S. government tax season comes, they, you find out they overtaxed you $13,000, you'd be making a phone call, right? Or if you're at work and somehow you realize your employer shorted you $13,000, you'd be making a phone call. It seems legitimate to ask for what you deserve. But what makes this, this action so reprehensible is it's in light of what he had just received. In light of his debt being canceled, he was not able to extend the same kind of grace. A hundred denarii was about six hundred thousandth of what he had just been forgiven. I have two conclusions for us this morning in light of this parable. Number one, the king of the universe offers to cancel our debt. All of it. No matter the size, no matter the secret things that nobody knows about. I, I, I know what it's like to just kind of go to church regularly on Sunday, and I know the stories. But when we really sit and think about it, when I really reflect on my own life story, it's a little overwhelming. No, he, he's just canceling it. I don't have to earn it. 
I don't have to chase it. I don't have to do campus ministry to try to earn any brownie points. No, 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 no. It's just canceled. He's already paid the debt of what I could never repay, even if I worked for 200,000 years. He cancels it. All of it. And I love that question. He, he forgave what? As I reflect on my own stuff, he forgave that too. Yeah, he forgives this. He forgave what? The king cancels our debt that we could never repay. Secondly, in light of the debt that is being paid for us, how then shall we live our lives? To what extent do you and to what extent do you and I show mercy to those who have wronged us? Is there a limit? Seven strikes and you're out? Eight broken chairs? What is the limit? You know, it's been a challenging season here uh, in our world. <laughs> when, I, when I think about several years from now, when students are in high school and they're studying American history, they get to this chapter called 2020. That's going to be a doozy. <laughs> right? It's been a challenging year. Politics, COVID, racial injustices. There's just yeah, tension. People are mad. People are hurt. People are saying stupid things that aren't true. And you know, all this stuff is just, some of you are really hurt. Some of you are in this room and you're really hurt by things that happened this past year. And maybe you're angry. And maybe it's rightfully so. I've been hurt this year. There are things that have been said and done that are just really hard. In fact, just this past week, I was hanging out with a good friend of mine. And we were getting caught up for the first time in months. And, you know, just checking in, talking, how are things going. And, and I found myself, as he was asking questions, I found him, myself telling him stories from this past year that have been really, really hurtful for me. And as I was reflecting on telling these stories, I'm like, why am I sharing this? Because deep down inside, there's a part of me that's like wanting to be justified with my anger and my hurt and my resentment from these things. I, I kind of want him to say, oh, he said that? Oh, she did that? Right? Sometimes when we're hurt and when we're wronged, we want to tell these stories and we want to be, oh yeah, feels good to have somebody be on my side. I don't want him to go home to his family and tell that story to his family and be like, oh, ben, this will happen to Ben. Can you believe that? No, I would much rather, I want to, I want to be like Jesus. And I want to extend grace that is ridiculous and generous and undeserving. What if, what if the church was known for this community of people who, who just forgave generously to the wrongs and the hurts that we've experienced and that the world would say, what? They, they forgave what? 
But I'm afraid too many of us are, are like this servant. I am too much like the servant. What's wrong with me? In light of the grace that has been extended to me, we are called to go and extend the same kind of love and grace to the people around us. Because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we get to partner with the king of the universe to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. They forgave what? Please pray with me. Jesus, I pray for your word and for your spirit to do its work. I pray that these are not just my words and my uh, presentation on a teaching, but God, I pray that they will change us. I pray that there will be change in the way that we live our lives. I pray for anybody who's here this morning that doesn't really grasp the magnitude of their debt and of the grace that you offer them. That it's just wiped clean and there's nothing we can do. Even if we had 200,000 years, there's nothing we could do and you paid it all. So God, as we wrestle with that amazing reality, may we be a community of people. May we be a church who is quick to forgive and quick to extend grace even to people who we don't think deserve it because that's what grace is. So God, we cannot do this. We can't even just dig down deep and try to find it inside of us. You and your spirit need to change us and change our hearts so we can be those kind of people that offer a picture of your kingdom here on earth. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.